spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome again to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, the show that takes you through every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo appearance of the Amazing Spider-Man. My name is John Wilson, and with me on the show this month are Josh Bertoni from the Clone Saga Chronicles and the Marvel Star Wars podcast. Ayo! I also have with me Donovan Grant, also from the Clone Saga Chronicles and the Spectacular Webs podcast. Hiya, hiya. And our guest co-host this month, coming to us from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, is Jeffrey Taylor. Hey, yo. This week we have several uh, Spider-Man comics that we're going to be talking about. And before we do that, however, we wanted to do some preliminary things. We have some emails we're going to read that we've gotten over the last month, which is very exciting. I have been asked by a few people uh, on Facebook and such how far this show plans to go. There are two answers to that. The first answer is as far as we can, because I would love to do this, you know, as long as is feasibly possible. However, if we can make it through the Jerry Conway run, which is Amazing Spider-Man 149 is where his last issue was published, I would consider that a grand accomplishment. So that's kind of my first goal in this show is to get through that point in the series. I'd personally love it if we could, you know, at least get to the Marv Wolfman stuff too, which is around, uh, it starts in the 182 when it goes to the early 200s. A lot of that stuff, like Aunt May Dine, the death of Spencer Smythe, Peter going to graduate school, uh, Betty Brandt uh, and Peter's uh, horizontal mamba with a married woman. Lots of... (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean lots of good controversial stuff there to me the space between jerry conway and roger stern has only very few really solid stories but the marv wolfman is the biggest and longest of of that period having just read through those years of comics i feel like there's not a whole lot that happened in his life during that time except for what marv well well, yeah i was about to say from from not a lot happened in his life. Not like, you know, proposing to your longtime girlfriend, having her dump you, graduating college, leaving the job that you've been at since high school and working for a rival newspaper. Well, oh, that's, there was that. Yeah, meeting, <laughs> you know, meeting the black cat. Uh, you know, just, but that uh, was all that was all Marvy. Right? Yeah, that was all Marvy. OK. Yeah, no, but no, I, I will say that for Len Wine, though. Not a lot happened during the Len Wine run. Yeah, that's 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 it. That's where as far as I go. Not I just happened to, to read up to the Len Wine era. And I'm in the uh, Denny just get up to books the... right now. There, there was a point on the Spider-Man Crawlspace podcast where JR called the early 200s the worst run of Amazing Spider-Man ever. And that's where I am, the Denny O'Neill <laughs> books. And it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Sandman and the Hydro Man combined to form this King Kong-like monster. And I just shook my head. But anyways. Just going to say something? One of my favorites. That's one of the best talking about. <laughs> That's how we got Hydro Man, Man and Sandman come together to make some kind of mud man. That's just great. Wait, that's that's classic literature right there. It gave I'm us not, Adam Webb, which is one of it the is. most annoying characters in Spider-Man mm-hmm. history. She's intriguing, though. <laughs> oh, yes. No, she's not. Spider-Man! <laughs> okay, well, I Let's have do been, it, Josh. I have been painted <laughs> by the, uh, the 90s cartoon series. Madam Webb! Voiced by Joan Lee, Stanley's wife. Okay, so I do want to extend some gratitudes. There have been several websites out there helping to promote the show, getting us a large number of listeners. Uh, hello, all of you in listener land. But I want to send some thanks out to Michael Bailey with Views from the Long Box. 
That is a podcast covering various general comic book topics. Also, Scott Gardner with his Two True Freaks family of podcasts. Those are both uh, excellent shows to listen to. And most especially, Brad Douglas allows us to post a link to the show every episode on the Spider-Man Crawl Space website. Uh, their website is excellent resource for all things Spider-Man. And the podcast is a lot of fun to listen to every month. You ever hear of Michael Bailey, Jeff? I've, I've, heard, I've heard tell of such a person, but I hear that he's very short. That's what I hear, too. Didn't you do a show with him once? Yeah, I did. Uh, still regretting it. We only have five years to go, though. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about the uh, From Crisis to Crisis show? Well, From Crisis to Crisis is, uh, well, it, it all started, Michael Bailey had the idea to do it as a podcast, and I thought it was a great idea. He invited me to be his co-host on it, and what we're doing is talking about all the Superman comics published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986, going all the way to basically around the end of Infinite Crisis in 2006, because that's kind of its own era of, of Superman as far as the comics are concerned. And uh, so we, we just did our 50th episode, which, uh, as we're recording this, should be out pretty soon. By the time this is out, I'm sure that it's it's already going to be out. We'll be doing an emails episode soon. So check that out. That's available at the Superman homepage. And pr pretty much the only other thing that I do is write for the Superman homepage. I do the caption contest there. I review the Superman the Animated Series, the one that ran starting in 1996, although it's been a while since Ooh. I've done one of those. I've just kind of put them off, just focusing on other projects, but I, I, I really do intend to get back to that very soon. But on I the other hand, I've been intending that for a while. That sounds cool. I, I gotta check that out. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I, I made it as far... I'm most of the way through... I'm, I'm more than halfway through, so I just need to actually sit down and start pounding those out again. Okay. But I'll be doing that soon. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> My exposure to Superman was extremely limited uh, before y'all started doing your show. And it was just a very short time before you started doing it that I started reading the post-crisis Superman books that y'all are talking about. And I fell in love with the, the story, with the origin, with the, this, that treatment of the character. Then y'all started doing the show, and it's like I had suddenly new friends who also loved this story that was new to me, but it was old hat to y'all. But I've been following every week with the episodes since you started, and it is a lot of fun. I highly recommend if you want to know more about Superman, if you want to explore the character, or if you love the character and want a good show to listen to, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is the place to go. Well, I've also been told that we've inspired one or two other podcasts. Well, no, uh, to one extent don't, or don't believe the hype. To one extent <laughs> or another. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that is actually very, very true. Having, what do you mean? Having listened to From Crisis to Crisis for, has it been a year yet? Not a year, but close to a year. Um, It'll be a year next week. Oh, wow. It will be a year next week. Six months ago, uh, Zach Henderson and I got together to start a similar treatment of the Ultimate Spider-Man series on Teenage Wasteland an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, and really that's why I'm doing this podcast here. From Crisis to Crisis was the first podcast I started listening to, and I thought, hey, if they can do it with Superman, I can do it with Spider-Man, which to me are the probably the front-runner characters of both the two major comic book companies. So I think they should both get the good treatment. Can I tell them about the email that I sent to you, or is that... Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jeffrey, I actually told him when I first listened to the show, I was like, dude, you guys are like a direct lift from Crisis to Crisis. Everything that you do is like from their feature. And then like one of the next oh, episodes... Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then one of the next episodes, because uh, they were doing Elsewhere in uh, the Ultimate Universe, they accidentally called it Elsewhere in the DC Universe. So I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like come on! <laughs> are you yeah, trying... But uh, no, but but I said to them, oh, I, I, no. I love. I, I said to them, I love your show and I love what you're doing. You know, just like 
<laughs> just every single segment that you have is a direct lift from Crisis, but you guys are doing good otherwise. So, well, that, was, that, honest, was actually how, that was actually how I first met John. It's not like it's not like our format is exclusive. It's not like it's not. Let's just call it open source. <laughs> so it's fine if if people end up using a a similar format. That does that wouldn't bother me at all. I don't really know another way to do a comic book podcast. I mean, you talk it, about the books and go backwards. Well, it was like how Jeffrey has <laughs> a, Jeffrey has his little joke at the end of the episode, and then Zach had a little joke at the end of the episode. You discussed like first appearances in a very similar way. You're like, oh, first appearance of the security guard, like is a similar way that like they said something. Uh, the whole uh, elsewhere in the DCU, elsewhere. No, well, but if I'm... it helps at all, I'm I'm blushing, and I'm I'm glad that you guys. And, and the John that you enjoy the show. But really, it's okay. I mean, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> well, and, let me, and let me just say for the record, too, I like Teenage Wasteland. I mean, that was just a criticism that I have of it, but I like Teenage Wasteland. I think that they do a very, very good job. So We try. Um, how, how far along are, are you guys on Teenage Wasteland? 46. We just recorded the Ultimate Six story, so that's issue 46 of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. So I guess that's a third of the way through the first series. I thought that Ultimate made it, it that Ultimate Six was its own miniseries. It it was. They did a prelude issue in Ultimate Spider-Man Forty Six. That's right. Okay. It's basically Sharon Carter talking, telling us a story the whole time. Jeffrey, can you tell us just some of your background with comics? How you got into comics in general, and uh, how you got into a Spider-Man in particular? Well, um, I started off with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. I was a big fan of them, and in fact, my dad used to play guitar with Peter Laird because they they grew up not far away from each other in North Adams, Massachusetts. My first one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures number six, which was put up by Archie. It spun out of the cartoon. The first four issues were actually based on the second arc that they were doing in the Ninja Turtles cartoon series, and then it kind of went off on its own. But th- that was the first time that I ever actually picked up a comic book. But I was always a, a Superman fan. And yes, I did say Superman, obviously. And big into the movies, Christopher Reeve's son was on my baseball team when I was eight years old. And that kind of bolstered everything for me. And so I really got into the Superman comics right after Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman started airing. Because I, I was getting a Superman fix, basically. But it wasn't enough. I had to have more. So I got into the comics at that point. And I didn't get into Marvel till much later. But my... my my Spider-Man exposure was limited to the 1990s cartoon series, the 1970s oh, yes. TV series. Oh, yes. Awesome. And, and having one of the action figures as a kid because I loved the colors on that figure. I, I think that was what really got me interested in what Spider-Man was all about, which is that it was such a colorful costume. It was a cool action figure to have, too. And uh, eventually... I was really into comics, but I was much more of a DC guy. And I saw the first movie that got me into Ultimate Spider-Man. And from Ultimate Spider-Man, I really wanted to go back and read some of the earlier Amazing Spider-Man to get a, get a feel for where this character came from. And so I got that 11 um set, which now there's a, a DVD set that has even more stuff on it. Not a whole or, lot more, but a little bit more. Not a whole lot more. Well, it had the annuals for one thing. My, oh, my you didn't have the annuals. Stuff. Oh. So I've I've actually never read Annual Number One. I've never read the first Secret Six story. Okay, I have to Sinister Six. That's what I said. The Insidious Six. The in- yes, no, <laughs> oh, oh, my my DC heritage just came out. Okay, but <laughs> but anyway though, yeah, I, I've read all of these early stories from from Amazing Spider-Man only all the way up to issue three hundred and something. But these are these earliest ones are my favorite, and I love watching the evolution of the character. And that was why when I saw that you guys were doing the show, that 
I just said, hey, if you guys ever want a guest host, and apparently you guys just jumped at that, and I'm, I'm so happy to be on the show, and thanks for having me. Well, we're glad and to I'm have really, you. And, and I'm sure. really looking forward to uh, talking about Electro and Mysterio and and all the other guys, <laughs> and Liz Allen, Allen with an A. Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> Josh is your That's, new best friend. That annoys okay. me so much when people, when people don't spell her name right. Well, it, it was misspelled in one of the issues we're going to be looking at. I know, yeah. Stan misspells <laughs> it all the time. Well, it's the letterer that writes it, so it's very possible. Sam Rosen? Or Artie Semek? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll just spell Stan Lee's name with only one E. <laughs> okay, so we have emails that have been written in from listeners of the show, and we thank you very much for that. We're going to read those and respond to them now. I have one that we got from Andrew Leyland. He's writing from the UK. He says, Hi, guys. I'm not going to try to do a British accent because although it may sound okay to me, it probably won't sound okay to you. Hi, guys. <laughs> Just a lot. I might. Oh, no, that's Australian. Yeah. See? See? <laughs> Boy, but if it's not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> We're a multicultural podcast. In Scotland, we've got three sizes of kilts. We've got we, not to be, and friggin' huge. We won't be after they listen to this. Read the blippin' email, eh? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Just a line from the UK to say how much I enjoyed podcast number one, which I listened to whilst out running today. Good job, all. I think the only thing I would add is that, according to John Byrne, Spidey's costume was supposed to be red and black initially, not red and blue. That's why there was so much black. But you guys already knew that. Regarding Spidey's eyepieces, I quite like when they change size in the comics. Just one of the things comics do better than live action but I liked it when they did that in Batman the Animated Series as well. Best wishes, Andrew Leyland. Josh, he said John Byrne. Am I like the John Byrne guy all of a sudden just because? <laughs> you are now. Josh Bertone, John Byrne, all that stuff. I haven't read it. Jeffrey hasn't read it. You guys have read it. And Josh, you're the one who's talked about it more, so it's all you. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's talking about the costume. I mean, that has, you know, I think that that's a separate thing than Chapter 1. Uh but I've actually had a similar thought that it really seems to me that in that initial book, they were actually making a red and black costume, not a red and blue costume. By the point That's, where we are right now, it's definitely red and blue, but I, I, I can definitely see the point of it actually being red and black. Well, for yeah, years, Batman weird. had a blue costume. That was it was supposedly black, but Batman's costume was blue for like fifty years. It was it wasn't until the seventies where Denny O'Neill wrote a story where he said that it was a prose story where he said that it's it's black, but in the when it's reflected off of light, it appears blue. But, uh, but that's not about Spider-Man, so... Well, I black can, I, in, in these comic books is generally more for shading than anything else. So, I mean, blue could be like a like a darker or perhaps a black. But when, when you take a look at um, at Spider-Man in the daylight, it looks blue. It's very, very blue. It's, it's, it's often a vibrant blue. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's the color he is in the movies. That's the color he is in the cartoons. I have no qualms with the idea of him having gone through different costume designs over the years of his own accord. Same with Batman. You know, so what if he wore a blue costume for a while in his career when he was feeling less dark? I, I don't have any problems with that. Yeah, this this is a stupid thing. That means oh, period. <laughs> oh, oh. I was gonna say like this. I, I was kind of, I kind of hung on to an idea when I was a kid that Spider-Man actually did go through. Like he would go through a different uh, spider insignias on his chest and change them up. He has some shirts with the web pits and some shirts where they don't. But uh, I know it's just right artist consistency. It really is artist. Con- and, and nowadays, where they have so many artists writing the same book at the same time, Stan Lee was very hard and fast about consistency and character design, and this just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, they don't even draw Peter Parker consistently in, in, the, in the current comics. Like they really don't. Like sometimes he has long hair, sometimes he has uh, short hair. Like even to this day. Yeah. 
Well, well, don't get me started on Lois Lane's hair in the Superman books. <laughs> yeah, is it red? Is it brown? Is it black? Is it short? Is it long? I think I think I'll wear it long today. <laughs> Lois Lane is actually a mutant, and her power is to change her hair spontaneously and cause all those around her not to notice. No, well, her it's better, power it's better than just being able to grow long fingernails. No, her power. She has a pheromone that makes every single guy pro- want to propose to her. I read, and I did like a blog series years ago about every single issue of Lois Lane's series from the Silver Age, and they have like guys proposing to her like every issue that have known her for ten seconds. You did a blog about that entire series. Yes, on Live Journal for for a long time. It was uh, it was kind of popular. The it got deleted because it was part of a community oh. scan, scans daily. Um, I might be able to recover them though because somebody has a backup that I've been. If trying somebody to get. has a backup, that would be awesome because I'm very close to the initiate initiation to the uh, commencement of that series in my Spider-Man uh, Superman read through. I can't talk. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would be curious to see your thoughts as I read through the books. I had a running list of all of her prospective fiancés over the years. She's been engaged to the Penguin. She's been engaged. <laughs> She was engaged to Jimmy Olsen twice. Uh, like the, the, there's like a weird list. Like Dick Grayson. Uh, she was engaged oh, to Bruce Wayne at one point. Batman at another. It's I mean, she's like she's got. There's like there was a whole list of like 70 people that she's either proposed like most of them like and she had lots of weddings too that like. And there's also that issue where he, she transformed into a horse and then ran off with Comet the Super Horse. Yeah, <laughs> we won't talk about what happened after that. Okay. My favorite. Sorry, we, we won't talk about the issue where she married Beppo. Oh, my! One of the greatest issues is Superman. He comes to like the Daily Planet offices and he's like, "Lois, meet me at City Hall. Bring your wedding dress. Today's the day." Then he flies <laughs> off, and Lois is like, "Oh my God, this is finally happening! I'm so happy!" So she and Superman like go, and he's like, "Okay, now we're going to the reception." And then she's like, wait a second, what about the marriage? And he's like, great, Scott, I forgot to tell you, didn't I? And they're dancing. He's like, you see, these crooks said that they were going to come after me on my wedding day. So I had to fake marry you. Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you. Oh, uh, like, silly me. And, she, and he's like, they're going to target you. So I have these magnets in your wedding dress that will attract the bullets. So he pretends to marry her but forgets to tell her and she's pissed at him. And then he makes her wear a dress that magnetizes bullets. <laughs> and then she gets pissed and she like leaves the wedding reception and he's like why are you so mad at me Lois what did I do okay but to be fair we've all been there oh come yeah. <laughs> story of my life yeah that's actually the way my first wedding went so getting back to the email I would just like to weigh in on my eyepiece philosophy large eyepieces to me are a trademark of modern spidey i got into it in the early 90s when large eyepieces were all the rage with the mcfarlane and larson art but i would like the whiteness of the eyepiece to be consistent through an issue i don't want like when he's confused or angry or whatever i don't want the white to suddenly get squinty now i can see why they do that and of course andrew you're not a bad person for liking it except that you're wrong but um, no, no, it's fine. Everybody has their own opinion. It's just my own personal preference. Do y'all have an eyepiece preference? I, I, um, Josh, I mean, so I'm, I'm a huge Bagley fan. Uh, but even going along that, I, I kind of whenever I draw Spider-Man, I draw him with like the really big eyes because I think that's just more appealing. And um, whenever I see him done with like this, like the squinty, squirrely eyes, I kind of think that I think that some artists are trying too hard. But I don't mind if they're a little smaller than what I'm used to. It's just, I just I'm with you. I kind of want more consistency. Like the Ditko eyes we're reading, you know, the, the Ditko 
style that we're reading about today, that's perfectly fine to me, too, as long as they're the same size through the issue. But, you know, whatever. As a visual medium, comic books, I'm fine with it on on that level. I I guess I would have a bigger problem with it if it were to happen in the movie or in something live action. Oh, yeah. uh, But but just just as a visual to, to get a point across, I... I'm I'm okay with it, especially to, especially if you can play it off as it's the way that the light is hitting his face or something like that, or or his mask rather. Okay, we have another email that Don is going to read. Oh yes, it's called it's titled Classics by um, Adam Smitzer. Hi guys, I've listened to things a bit out of order because I've heard half the first podcast and then skipped to episode four about the Strange Tales annual. I don't know why you would do that, but never mind. <laughs> I, I've read. I've heard the classic Amazings, but man, does that annual sound wacky. I was very amused about the FF talking about Ben going bad behind his back. That was awesome. And read you it. They are... do all the time <laughs> in those first 20 issues. A Fantastic Four, yeah. It's like, what will happen if Ben gets too angry? <laughs> he walks into the room. Oh, everyone be quiet. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Love your hat today. Ah, oh, I wish I could wear a hat like a normal human. It's all your fault, Reed. Ah! Anyways. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job of analyzing these old stories in entertaining ways. I was happy to hear a, hear new little behind-the-scenes inf- information about them. Pointing out inconsistencies and weird science stuff is funny. Props on getting a reply by Stan, the man himself. I plan on listening through the rest of the podcast soon. Thanks for making a fun podcast to keep me entertained while I do a long run or drive. FSU Spider Fan, a.k.a. Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. One thing we forgot to mention in that annual that we just kind of breezed by, but Chris Johnson mentioned when I was Facebooking with him, was that Spider-Man whips out some web skis at one point. And that was just a bit of web wackiness that we probably should have mentioned, but we were distracted by the ice silicone crystals in the web. Thank you, Adam, for writing in. It's fun reading these old books, but yeah, Strange Tales Annual 2, after being my holy grail of Spider-Man stories for so long, was an interesting experience. Next email from Steve J. Rogers, subject He-Man. Hey guys, just wanted to add to the He-Man and pop culture conversation from the discussion on Amazing Spider-Man number five. Uh, Just to clarify on that, uh, John Wilson went on a, I I don't want to say a tangent because me and Don are the king of tangents, but he was talking about how he was surprised that the term He-Man was around before the 80s. So anyway, the little rascal, Spanky had a sign in front of his clubhouse called the He-Man Woman Haters Club. At least the phrase (laughs) He-Man goes back to that time period. Well, just, you know, to date that, the Little Rascals shorts were filmed in the 20s and 30s, in the 40s, I think. So that takes the He-Man usage all the way back to World War II and before. So that's interesting. That was something I didn't know. So thank you, Steve. Now you know. Now you have to bet. And just, I don't know. I like history. I like random cultural knowledge. So knowing when He-Man became a usage would be interesting. To me only, I'm sure, but it would be interesting. Well, I'm fairly certain that the, the line was separate from the toy line. Well, yes. Yeah, because the toy line was actually a Conan toy line. But anyways, so last email is from an anonymous writer. He wished we keep his name confidential. So we're just going to call him Bernie Schwartz. Bernie says, hi, guys. I recently saw the movie version of Kick-Ass, which rocked. And that's just me, not him. And decided to review some of the early Spider-Man stuff I have in a couple anthologies. I enjoyed the film, but I was really struck by how this was an almost one-to-one retelling of early Peter Parker. Plus a couple of decapitations, mutilations, some sailor talk, and a heavy dose of teen hormones. They're exactly the same. There's no, they're so much similar to each other. 
Yeah, it was for the you know blood. Exactly the same plus Nicolas Cage. Right. <laughs> Doing a psycho Adam West interpretation. I'm not sure if y'all have seen it. Eight ball sign points to yes. But I was curious about your opinions and if you saw the similarities as well. Uh, yeah, I would think that a lot of the same themes are there. I mean, the the outcast nerd who you know gets drawn into well how he gets drawn into the world of superheroes and how he reacts to it are pretty different. But the personalities are the same, I would think. Similar, at least. I'm not saying the movie, but I have read the comic book. And um, I think I think the general idea of like, oh, a normal guy actually trying to be a superhero and like you know real real world consequences. I mean, I think it's fair to say they kind of started with Spider-Man. I don't think that the concept would be as pronounced as it would be without Spider-Man, but that's my opinion. Stan Lee was doing that a little earlier than Spider-Man. Like, he actually did some of that stuff with early Fantastic Four. There's an issue, uh, I think it might be issue eight, where they go to Hollywood because they're broke. And they're like, wow, we're worried about money. Normal superheroes from other comics aren't worried about money. Like, they actually say people from comic books aren't worried about money. And they have <laughs> to... And they have to hitchhike at one point, and they say, we're hitchhiking. Isn't that funny? Superheroes don't have to hitchhike usually. So, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it, it was more fine-tuned in Spider-Man, though. He was more of the quote-unquote everyman than the FF were, but yeah. I think it'd be fair to say that without Spider-Man, there would never have been a kick-ass. And I personally feel that that particular plot in Fantastic Four was really contrived. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> uh, Nam- Namor's a big Hollywood producer. Namor is a Hollywood producer and he's going to make a movie as a plot device to capture the Fantastic Four and fight them? Really? Serious. That's where Norman Osborn got it from. And yes, Don, he's completely serious. Oh my god. <laughs> he takes them out to an island, has cameras rolling and everything, and beats them up. Or tries to, anyway. <laughs> I don't know how, like, Namor keeps on thinking that, like, Sue's going to marry him. It's like, see, I just murdered your brother. Do you love me now? Everyone that you know and cherish, I'm out to destroy. Will you please go to bed with me? That actually sounds more like a Joker story. (laughs) (laughs) It's so crazy, yeah. It sounds like a Joker story from the Silver Age, though. It does. Would, like, Lord Batman, like, say, I'm making a movie on you. I wonder what the Joker's up to, chum. Let's play his little game. (laughs) But then their final battle takes place in space. (laughs) <laughs> great, <laughs> great Scott! That's not a dinosaur robot movie prop. That's a real dinosaur. Run, chum, run! Luckily, I, I have my anti-dinosaur rope. My guess is Millar and Ramita would say it was an I- ironic homage parody of that early stuff. But the narrative structure and characters, to me at least, seem like they were more than just a wink to Origin Spidey. I don't see this as a bad thing, but rather as an indication that these early issues, despite some really entertaining camp hold up remarkably well in terms of storytelling. Uh, Yeah, Jeffrey and I were talking about this a couple days ago, how really good these issues are. And actually, for those who haven't seen the movie, there's a a throwaway line where she says, you know, I read some of those early Ditko Spider-Mans you suggested, and they're really good. And yeah, these are really good books. There is occasional... That's a line in the movie? Yeah, uh, Hot Girl says it. So, you know, it has even more weight. That's pretty cool. Not Hit Girl the character, but the Hot Girl that he likes. Like, like, yeah, the, the girl he thinks uh, he wants to be gay or he pretends to be gay around. Right. I haven't seen the movie yet. I haven't had the time because of work, but hopefully I'll try and get to it this week. It's... I haven't seen the movie yet because, number one, I don't I don't really like going out to the movies because where I live, your general public has no sense of decorum and just, you know, uses their cell phones. Hey, how you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just at the movies. How are you? 
yeah, let's talk for a little while. One of those kind of things. And that just annoys the heck out of me. And, uh, well, between that and the fact that I, I, I have not yet finished the comic book run because I can't find the first few issues because it's only eight issues. It took, what, two years for the whole thing to come out? They were done with the movie before issue five, like, hit the stands. <laughs> I do remember I, that, yeah. That's that's not an exaggeration either. No, and the movie is very, very faithful to the first five issues of the comic. I, I haven't read past issue five either, but I've been told that the endings are different. But the first mean, five issues of the, the comic, comic book is faithful to the movie, basically. Yeah, well, they were they were being produced. Yeah, they were being produced at the same yeah, time. Yeah, they're 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 made to be like kind of like around the same thing. My one sentence review of the film is: if you can enjoy violence and vulgar language used in a fun way. I have not had as much fun in a movie as I had with Kick-Ass in a very long time. Since the latest Punisher. I haven't seen a Punisher movie since 1994. But there's so many that have been released. Punisher 04, (laughs) Punisher 08. Uh, I have two copies of Punisher 04. So anyway. The regular one and the director's cut. The director's cut. There's, There's a director's cut? There is. His last sentence is, this is a big reason why I appreciate the project you are doing with this podcast and look forward to downloading new episodes when they are up. Sincerely, Bernie Schwartz. Um, Thank you, Bernie, for writing in. And uh, yeah, we're having a blast with these books, making this show, and I don't plan to stop anytime in the near future. So keep listening and write us again when you have a chance. And that wraps us on the emails. Before Jeffrey takes us to Amazing Spider-Man 9... I wanted to mention a brief cameo Spider-Man had the week before that book came out. On November 5th, 1963, The Avengers number 3 was released. In that book, the Avengers are trying to find the Hulk. Because, as Iron Man says, so long as he's running wild, there's no telling what he'll do. They're not really sure, though, how to find him, so using a stark transistor-powered image projector, Iron Man <laughs> sends his image to various superhero haunts, trying to recruit help. And one of the people he targets is our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, who is standing horizontally on the side of a building, trying to pull some thugs right off the roof with his webbing. Instead of questioning why it looks like Spidey's about to kill these guys, Iron Man decides to try to enlist his aid. Suffering spiderwebs! I must be working too hard, I'm seeing things! Don't be alarmed, I'm just trying to find the Hulk. Look, do I tell you my troubles? I've got my hands full right now. Why don't you try the missing persons bureau? Thanks for nothing, Sonny. And as it happened, Spider-Man ended up doing some sort of convoluted web sack strung between the two roofs and bound up the bad guys in that. Seems like that's going about things the hard way, but who am I to judge? And yeah, I feel like Spider-Man's kind of reinforcing everyone's negative opinions about him here, especially in the superhero community. Did any of y'all have any thoughts on this little scene? Yeah, he was a jerk. He's antisocial. I mean, he talks about, oh, nobody understands me because I'm a science geek. But you know what? If you read some of the issues... Peter can be a jerk to some of the other students sometimes, and he can be a jerk to some of the other heroes. I think, he just, I think he just has social problems in general. I like to think he has Asperger's. Wow, that would be an interesting take on the character. Peter Parker, the autistic Spider-Man. Well, uh, autism and Asperger's are two different things. But, but they're, on the, they're on the same is, spectrum. It's on the same yes. spectrum. But I'm very familiar with Asperger's because I've actually worked with lots of children with Asperger's over the years. And it's funny because I... I was when I was reading issue twelve, and I'll get into it later. Like Doctor Octopus, he had like almost an Asperger's like focus with like you know getting the Spider Man. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't meaning to ca- cast dispersions on on Asperger's. I'm 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 serious. He's probably got like four of the five symptoms. 
Oh yeah, based no, I, on based on the way. That, yeah, no, I just want to be clear on that. Oh yeah, <laughs> there, you know, there's there's the social issues. There's you know, you're like really really focused on something like science or whatever, obsessiveness, and it's interesting. It's interesting. You watch TV and stuff now, and like people think that Michael Scott from The Office has it. People think that Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory has it. Who, by the way, Stanley guest starred on an episode a few uh, weeks ago. I did not see that. Is that the one where uh, he's like in a mansion? Yeah, he's in a mansion, and like they go to see him, and he basically like throws them out. And, and Sheldon get Sheldon gets a signed copy of a restraining order. Aspergers, it varies from person to person. Like some people won't understand sarcasm at all. Some of them have an understanding of it, but you won't find two Aspergers people who are exactly the same. And it could go undiagnosed for decades. So now we get to November twelfth, when Doc Brown fell off the toilet and hit his head on the bathtub. While unconscious, he had a vision of the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. But that was November 12th, 1955, and this is... I was going to say you're off by about eight years. (laughs) 1963, when Amazing Spider-Man 9 was released, and Jeffrey is going to tell us about it. Yes, and I'm happy to tell you all about it. This is the Electro story. The title is The Man Called Electro. And uh, taking a look at the story real quick, know something, little friend? If you're just starting to read this story, we envy you. Because you're going to have a ball, as only Stan Lee can tell. So as we begin, Spider-Man is taking off, apparently following some bad guys, robbers that the police are chasing. The police are very happy that Spider-Man is along to help them. But Spider-Man just swings right on by and changes his clothes back to Peter Parker so that he can go give Aunt May the medicine that he just went to pick up which is clearly more important than stopping these bad guys. Meanwhile, across town, Electro uh, is putting on his costume and his little chest thingy, which I don't really know how to fully explain, so that he can charge up with some electricity from some electrodes on either side of him and go and rob an an armored car. And he encircles the armored car guards with electricity so that he can make his escape. Peter Parker has called a doctor the following morning to go take a look at Aunt May and says that she now needs to go to the hospital. And Peter's very upset about this, but that doesn't stop Flash Thompson and his annoying friends from trying to make fun of him as he ignores them. Later, Peter Parker finds out from the doctor that Aunt May is going to need an operation and that it's going to be very expensive. Uh, I believe it's about $1,000, but Betty Brant is also visiting Aunt May and walks Peter out, and they have a, a brief discussion, and Betty thinks to herself, this is a very brief discussion, Betty thinks to herself, it's as though he carries a deep secret within him, <laughs> one which no one can ever share. Well, she's, I, she's a very anyone, intuitive girl. Has no, anyone ever wondered if the quiet boy has a deep, dark secret, but no, it turns out he's just an antisocial nerd? Well, before that, Betty says, wow, he seems so calm, but he's like a volcano waiting to erupt. That's a very good quality to notice in a boyfriend, Peter. That's like, (laughs) he's like, when you think that your boyfriend's going to erupt like a volcano any second, that's not a good sign. Yeah, you don't want to date. on the nose. So in order to raise some money, Spider-Man, now he's Spider-Man because he's changed his costume, decides that he's going to go and take some pictures of himself to sell to J. Jonah Jameson. However, it begins to rain, pouring, pouring rain, and he has to go home and wring out his costume and let it dry so that it doesn't shrink. So he thinks, hmm, what am I going to do? Later on, uh, the next day, as a matter of fact, J. Jonah Jameson is at the bank trying to find some information about his accounts. When Electro shows up and robs the bank and zaps both of them, which is a really <laughs> funny image, by the way. He opens the safe with his Electro powers and, and runs off. And, and then, just as he's made his, way, made his way out of the picture, Spider-Man swings by, making Jameson think, 
wait, maybe Electro and Spider-Man are really the same person. I'm oh, going yeah. to print that in the newspaper and nobody will ever think anything wrong about it. <laughs> uh, later on, Peter finds the, the story in the paper and gets very upset about it and uh, talks to the doctor. And Oh, this is where he founds that, finds out that uh, this whole thing is going to cost $1,000. So he goes to J. Jonah Jameson to ask for a $1,000 advance. W- won't tell him exactly why, just that it's very important. And Jameson turns him down and says, give me photographic proof that Spider-Man is Electro and I'll gladly give, give you the money. And Peter thinks, say, that gives me an idea. So off he goes again, trying to find some crime to stop, but he can't find any crime to stop at all, and uh, continues to swing around until finally he finds Electro burglarizing a safe for yeah. Jules' money. No matter no matter what's in there, he wants it. So Spider-Man takes the pictures of, of Electro, but then Electro sees him and fires one of his electric beams at him. But Spider-Man is able to dodge the beam, do some flipping around, and tries to grab Electro, but is electrocuted in the process. And he's knocked out at that point. Electro thinks that he's dead, but doesn't take into account that Spider-Man has Spider-Strength and is therefore able to survive the the electricity. So Spider-Man takes some pictures of himself and brings them to J. Jonah Jameson, saying this is the proof that Electro is Spider-Man. Because Peter Parker would never fake photos. No, never. He, he even says that, uh, okay, I've never cheated anyone before. It feels terrible. If it weren't such an emergency, dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah, didn't he do that with the Sandman issue? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Selective only, only it was almost the same thing because it really just happened. And it's <laughs> well, like logic. a reshoot of a movie. No, I, I well, just, yeah, but he, but here he's taking the pictures, and and I, I don't think he's even superimposing them. You see that one shot of the newspaper, and it's three different pictures, and it's like Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Electro. Therefore, they're the same person. Right. Right. So people around New York begin to consider this. Oh, Electro and Spider-Man, that's bad. And and Electro thinks, oh wow, that that's really cool that. Uh, Everybody thinks that I'm Spider-Man. Now I'll be able to get away with it. And considers the time that he got his powers. And this is uh, the Jeff John's secret origin here. Yes, it is. He went up to go help somebody down from a telephone pole when he got struck by lightning. But instead of dying, as people do, he gets electric powers and finds so. that he can create some sort of a, a chest plate that he, he sort of wraps around his body and amplifies his powers so that he can then put on the weirdest looking mask ever and become Electro. Well, that makes oh. sense. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I would do. I think it's this is because real- the lightning struck him while he was working on power lines. If he was working on power lines, then he would have gotten electrocuted. Then he would have died. Or if the lightning struck him while he wasn't working on the power lines, he would have died. But because it both happened at the same time, uh, science! I thought that, don't you know anything about science? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an example of the art uh, of Stanley writing stuff that doesn't exactly jive with probably what Steve Ditko was planning when he drew it, because the verbal explanation of why Electro can conduct electricity has nothing to do with that plate on his chest. But yeah, Steve Ditko probably person? gave him the plate on his chest as an explanation of why he can conduct electricity. So I don't know. I, I, thought, it, I thought it amplified it, basically. It could amplify it. 
We can or go with that. Him to his powers fluctuate so much. Like in this issue, he's like, I got to recharge my powers now, which that kind of got dropped after a lot. It's funny here because in this origin story, Electro's betrayed as such a jerk, but they recently did, I think, in Web of Spider-Man, uh, this like telling from Electro's point of view, and they make him seem like some down on his luck guy, like who was working. He's like, it was while I was off the clock, technically. So, you know, the company wouldn't reimburse me and I lost, you know, this and that and they wouldn't pay their oh, medical right. bills. And you read this and it's like, I'll go up there and save this guy who's about to die only if you pay me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you would get fired like if you tried that. Villain. I, I've always thought of him as like one of like the more contentable people, especially after reading the Marvel Knights issues where he just like up and takes it to Spider-Man. Um, I, I never thought he was a good guy. Okay. Well, he's definitely not a smart guy. I mean, he thinks that mask looks good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. Oh, we'll get to that later. Okay, fair enough. And, <laughs> and actually, my, my one of my first times meeting Electro was in the Ultimate Spider-Man video game. I'd read Ultimate Spider-Man by that point, and in fact, I'd even read this at, at that point, but I, I really felt like I got to know the character of Electro when I had to fight him in the Ultimate Spider-Man game, and man, that was annoying. I think you had to fight you had to fight him as Venom. Really? Venom, you had to chase him down as Venom, and then I think you had to fight him as Spider-Man, I think. Yeah, you had to chase him, but you couldn't like That's get close to him, or he'd like throw you away. But, so, like, you couldn't be too close to him, but you couldn't be too far away from him. Then you had to, like, hit him with a car and then he'd be naked and then you could beat him up while he's all naked but then he yeah yeah, you're like, right. yeah and he like sucks the power out of like a billboard and stuff yeah that was annoying so he had to go and break all the billboards so that he couldn't recharge himself you like your life bar was down and his life bar was up because you once when you kill him the first time he recharges well, once yeah, you learn how to do it it's easy to do but anyway that's going off on its own tangent meanwhile on page <laughs> 13 out of 22. Dun, 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 page 13. Page 13. Electro is breaking bad guys out of prison, telling them that they should all follow him. And Peter Parker hears this on a police radio as he's passing by, but he really has to go and check on Aunt May first. And he, he finds that Aunt May, that they're ready to operate and he's going to have to wait around for that. But uh, he runs into Betty Brandt who says, wait, I know it's difficult to be alone at a time like this, and she wants to spend the time with him. Meanwhile, JJJ has shown up at the prison where Electro is letting loose all these prisoners, but none of the prisoners will actually listen to him, and they all just run. <laughs> so the police are pretty much able to stop them and round them up, except for a few who, who do stick around. A little bit later on, back at the hospital, Peter hears from a doctor that Aunt May has survived her operation from whatever it is that was wrong with her, which, which is a diagnosis by the way uh, thanks <laughs> thanks betty for being there for him and tells her that the operation w was successful but now he's got to go off so that he can take pictures of this riot that's breaking out and she says oh you just enjoy danger the excitement just like someone else i once knew um yeah but she still knows him but anyway Exactly, uh, and and really, the way she's saying that, it does not sound like a brother. Oh, actually, she's not no. talking. She's not talking about her brother though. That that was later retcon. She's talking about Gordon, her uh, ex boyfriend, who comes. Uh, I assume. Who, really? No, it, it's Busiek. No, and he comes back in Untold Tales of Spider Man, like. He was her oh, boyfriend, man. and like he's what—he's actually the person. They—I'm uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves with the Betty stuff that we're going to reveal the next few issues. But he's the one who got her brother involved with Blackie uh, Gaxton and the gambling and all that stuff. At least it's related to that plot because this comment here is what begins the whole Betty secret thing for the next four issues. The Betty saga. The yeah, the Betty Brand saga. <laughs> <laughs> I sold on DVDs. So her her boyfriend's name was Gordon. 
Yeah. Shumway? I don't remember his last name. He became oh, like okay. a villain called the Terror and like the, he there was a whole plot in Untold Tales where he came back and he was blackmailing Betty and trying to get her to do stuff with the bugle and everything. Very well. <laughs> and now for Electro as Spider-Man heads off to go and stop Electro from breaking more people out of prison. And J. Jonah Jameson, feeling very, very happy about his scoop, becomes very upset when he sees Spider-Man swing by, knowing that Electro is already inside the prison, therefore they cannot be the same person. And he says, I'll be a laughing stock, and all because of Peter Parker, which means Peter's going to be in trouble later on. So Spider-Man makes it into the prison and rounds up some bad guys, fights Electro a little bit, and... He puts on his rubbers. Yes, that's right. Thank you. He he puts on these rubber boots and rubber gloves, which I actually really like. I I think that's kind of cool yeah. and 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 pretty ingenious. I so think it's a pretty awesome plot guys. point, but I think it's a pretty awkward panel where he's like, "I better oh, yes. put on these rubbers and the rubber gloves I got at the store to help insulate myself against him." And I'm just like taken out of context, you know, that's kind of interesting. Ame told me to always be safe. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm out. <laughs> Well, you know how much rubbers cost in the 60s? Wow. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Nobody ever used them. That's true. Do they exist in the 60s? Yes. Spider-Man kicks some sand at Electro, who electrifies it, turning it into glass. And uh, then Spider-Man uses his web to to uh, mess up Electro's gun. Why he has a gun when he has electric powers, I'm not fully sure of, but regardless. And Spider-Man is able to block off some of the electricity that Electro is is shooting at him by using his rubber gloves. And just then, he has an idea. Goes over to the, to the wall and takes a fire hose, an emergency fire hose, and stops Electro a la Wicked Witch of the West theory. I'm melting, I'm melting! Oh, what a world! What a Aren't world. we still in, like, a, a prison cell hall or something? Yes. Why is there a fi- Okay. I guess there are well, fire it, hoses it, it in prison be, cells. It could be a riot hose. It could be a riot hose. It could be a riot hose. So, Spider-Man takes Electro's masks, mask off to reveal that it's somebody he's never seen before, and he has no idea who he is. <laughs> so, he collects, Spider-Man collects his camera, and outside, J. Jonah Jameson is fuming uh, in, the, in the general direction of Betty Brandt about how he's ruined and that he's going to sue Peter Parker and fire him. Peter Parker shows up and says, relax, JJJ, you're not firing me and you're not suing me. And the reason is because he got all these great pictures of the fight with Electro. So J. Jonah Jameson decides not only to forgive Peter Parker, but that he's going to buy his pictures for a fraction of their value, which will make, <laughs> people, which will make Peter very happy. And so, but here, here's the thing. Actually, no, he doesn't offer him, or, or no, he, he says that uh, he won't take money for the pictures. What he'll do instead is not get fired or sued, which basically is Peter Parker's way of saying, yes, I am a fraud. I, I defrauded you. I did the wrong thing, but it's all okay now, and JJJ is okay with that. And he thinks to himself, I'm robbing him. I'll make a fortune with his pictures, but I deserve it because he is a fool. And I love that face. <laughs> I mean, that's like an awesome that quote. It's such a dickish quote. It's the J.J. Jameson supervillain face. Oh, my God. Yeah, look at him there. He's like such a miser. Because he's a fool. Like, I love, I love that reasoning. And like it, Betty it, it, walks by. The, what, we don't, what we don't see is Betty walking by being like, Jonah, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you looking like that? So Peter goes to talk to Betty one more time. But Betty's not. She's turning up her nose at him and not happy with his thrill-seeking. 
Peter doesn't take kindly to that and just walks off and says, sorry to have bothered you. Minutes later, he goes to Aunt May, who is now recovering just fine from her operation, from whatever it is that she had, and uh, decides to walk home. And Betty shows up just behind him and says, please don't be angry. I'm sorry for what I did. And once again, the girl is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's the message here. As he's, like, he's like, I'm going to apologize to her right now. She's like, Peter, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you better be, babe. <laughs> and that's how they fall in love, because she was wrong. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after for another couple of issues. Yeah. <laughs> they lived they happily ever after feel, until he was partially responsible for her brother's death, and she kind of forgave him. Then she said, how dare you cheat on me with this blonde person? Anyway, I'm going to openly date this other person, which is allowed. Then they Spoiling. broke up. Spoiling. Then she got married, then she left her husband, and they slept together, then the husband punched him in the face, and then they separated again, and then her husband died, and she had a nervous breakdown and joined a cult. Are we done? Thank you for listening. That's like the next 20 years of Betty Brant right there. Oh, I didn't even get to like when she became like a Rambo clone in the 90s. Or... I know, that's oh, 30. Man. Oh, thank you for that. Remember that cover where like she's holding the gun, and then like the caption says, That's Betty Brant? Oh my and like, lord! In question marks and stuff. God, oh my. Okay. okay. Electro's design, it sucks. Says I, Donovan Grant. You know, I, 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 I just, go ahead. You liked it? No, I did not get as a kid the fact that there was a black hood over the rest of his head. I was trying to figure out where his head went because it's all in black all the time. They never and they never show him from the back. But yeah, yeah. He, has, he has a black hood covering his head and then the sparks on his. He's front. like a cowl, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I, I said it, I said it before on the Spec Webs podcast, but to me, like this costume, kind of like is what people point at when they make fun of comic books. Right. And I'm not knocking Dicko because I think Dicko's a really good artist, but I just thought this is one of like the weakest designs, like a starfish head. Really? Uh, it's what do you definitely guys think a kind of design that could never make it into a live action interpretation. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> middle pa- middle panel on page ten, the back of Electra's head. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's Web, isn't it? Well, that's really? not Web. Really? Well, oh yeah, yeah, I guess there it is. John Byrne did do a redesign oh, of uh, of Electro's costume during Chapter One, and that redesign actually stuck in like the regular titles for a, f- a few years. It was like a blue costume. Oh, I remember seeing that. Yeah, on covers yeah, and stuff. Okay, yeah, really cool splash page uh, with Peter yeah, I love it. cast of characters on one side and Spider Man's cast of characters on the other, and bipolar Betty. Who like she's like oh Peter I'm so happy and smiling the next one she's like turning her head away. It's it's Betty's weird because everyone else on that side is reacting to Spider Man but Betty has no reaction to Spider Man in this story. She has a happy and a sad reaction to Peter but oh well. Well, She's going going through a rough time. Yeah. Yeah, with her brother. When girls reach a certain age, they go through changes. This this. is the first indication that Betty's a high school dropout, because before then it was like, wait a second, this is some adult that Peter's dating, and Stanley will later say in the letters pages that Betty is actually a year younger than Peter, just to kind of like put the final nail in the coffin of Peter dating a married woman. Yeah, we have that in a couple issues we're going to cover that it's going to end up being on next week's show, is that letter page. Yeah, this is the first time they've actually put it in the script, but the way that letter answer is done, it's almost like they had planned it, you know, before this, I don't know. We all know I how that still, went. In, in my, because I've been reading for so long with a certain interpretation, I, I still see Betty as like, she's like she's young, but she's not that. I mean, I know she's supposed, to, I know she is younger than Peter Parker, but it's hard for me to get past the fact that, as I always thought that she was a couple years older than him, but 
It is what it is. There's still certain writers who don't get that either. Like, they'll talk about in Wizard interviews and stuff and how she was the older woman in his life. And it's, it's like, a very, very uh, obscure fact. I don't even know if Stan even remembers it because Stan would just say stuff, like, off the fly to make it up. Like, I can just see, like, somebody's like, hey, Stan, people have a problem with Betty being an older woman. She's a high school dropout and she's a year younger than Peter. Yeah, put that. It's canon. One of my problems with Aunt May later on in Dicko's run is whenever in Untold Tales and in these amazing issues, Aunt May was in the hospital, Betty would always be there. And she'd always visit Aunt May and she'd always, like, you know, be sending flowers and stuff. And she'd always, yeah. And then Aunt May, how does she respond to, like, you know, this nice girl who's befriending her and dating her nephew? Whenever Betty's not around, it's Peter. You need to dump that girl and date this neighbor. <laughs> right, right. Well, the thing is that she just gets younger and younger. So I think this whole operation that she's having is really just Botox. Yeah. <laughs> they never say what it is. And it's like... <sighs> but whatever it is, I think this is actually what makes Aunt May sick for the rest of the whole, you know, saga of Aunt May's health. This is, the, this is the first time that Aunt May's gotten sick. And it won't be the last. And they botched hospital. the operation so that she never recovers. Okay, and Jonah's an idiot because when he sees Electro and Electro says, you're J. Jonah Jameson, Jameson's thinking, Electro, he knows who I am. He must be someone <laughs> I who I know. You are J. Jonah Jameson. Aren't you like the biggest media figure in the city? Aren't you always on TV? And you're surprised that Electro knows who you are. He must be someone that you know. Yeah, that narrows it down to like, you know, 80% of New York City, I'm sure. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. Going back to the Aunt May thing, just because I still I had another half of a note on that. Regardless of what else you might say about one uh, the stories in Spider-Man since One More Day, one thing they haven't done as far as I know is put Aunt May back in the hospital. Oh, give it time. Credit so that, for that, because they actually had a rule. No girls falling off of bridges and no lifting large objects. And no sick ants. I, I don't think he said anything about no sick ants, but I mean, I will give them credit for that. So She was in a bed. It just wasn't a hospital bed. By the time that this episode is released, like there'll be an issue of Aunt May in the hospital. Like it'll be out the week that that this podcast is edited in there. It'll be like this issue where, like at the beginning, a girl falls off a bridge in the middle. Aunt May's in the hospital, and Spider-Man has to lift himself from a large piece of wreckage to save her. I love that these stories really focus on the problems with the dual identity, and it gets even more intricate once J. Jonah Jameson realizes that Parker's photos are fake. It, it's covered a little too easily at the end. I think, but but it, it was really interesting up until that point. Right. I always thought that Jonah was way too forgiving of Peter, truth be told. I can see where you're saying that, but this is the same guy who says, um, how do you do it, Parker? How do you get this picture of Spider-Man? Uh-uh, you know our arrangement, no, no, no secrets. Okay, okay, just give me the picture. So I can kind of see him just <laughs> bending over backwards for these pictures for no reason, but I do understand what you guys are saying. So Betty and Peter, I guess, have been seeing each other since we last saw her in, like, issue, what is this, nine? So that would be at the end of issue seven. Um, Well, they just kind of flirt at the end of issue seven. And, like, it's not really clear. Like, I mean, obviously, Untold Tales filled in those gaps that they actually went out on a date. But here it's like, are they just friends? Now they're in love. Like, the caption says that they're feeling love. Like, is it is it dating or because like, we never see them kiss or anything, you know? And the tone of the end of issue seven. I mean, I would not Kissing be surprised. If the, the next panel was you know a little bit of a little bit of makeout, you know. Kissing is like going all the way in the night in the early sixties. Well, well, you kiss and then you propose. Kissing is like third base, right? Third third base. Sometimes you get married before you get there. If a guy hadn't proposed to you by like the fifth date, he was afraid of commitment. 
the weird thing is, um, in that like panel when they're talking about Spider-Man, um, at the end of the last page, it says the superhero who could be you. I think that that was the tagline that they used for um, Captain Universe. When I was Steve thinking the Dicko. exact same thing. That was Captain Universe. Yeah. Well, because Steve Ditko does do a lot of like different tropes over and over again, and one of them is like the superhero who could be you. Another one is like in the early Lee Ditko issues. I don't know if this was primarily Lee or Ditko that did this, but whenever somebody would be unmasked, they always had Spider-Man saying, "Wow." I thought it was going to be someone who I know, but I've never seen this guy before. In a movie, I'd say it must be the butler. I think that they did that with the crime master later on and right. maybe one or two other times. The crime, Yeah, the crime master, I remember, and obviously, obviously this with the lecture, but I can't think off the top of my head anybody else. Yeah, yeah it, but it was definitely with those two. But it, that's the writing side of things. So I'm thinking that's a Stanley. Well, but Dicko had a lot to do with that. And there was that whole, like, myth for a while that uh, Dicko wanted the goblin to be somebody who, like, we had never seen before, which would have been hilarious because that would have been, like, because it was supposedly the prove a point that it's not always the guy that you knew. But they had proven that point five times beforehand. But Dicko has since come out. Um, he did like some weird rant against Marvel a, a year or two ago, where he admit, where where he but he like in the middle of that rant he had like an offside about how Dicko had planned on it being Norman Osborn and he purposely drew uh, Norman Osborn in those country club scenes before introducing him. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. So page four at the bottom of page four, the Doctor is at Peter's house and says that Aunt May has to go to the hospital, and then he goes to school, and then he leaves school and goes to the hospital. And Betty Brant's there. Now, he didn't go to work. How did Betty know <laughs> that Aunt May was in the hospital? How is she email intuition? There? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> it's a small it's a small town. It's it's New York City, West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, maybe Betty called the house or something and the doctor like was there or something and oh no, no, yeah, no, Peter's not here. I'm taking his aunt to the hospital. They they changed the answering machine, you know. Hello. If I don't hear that must be I'm in the hospital, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be amazing. <laughs> if I'm not here, I'm probably in the hospital right now. <laughs> That's probably just through standard. standard. I'll return but this was, this was free my... answering machines, though. Yeah, my favorite room is number two, three, five, four. Well, when Peter walks into the hospital and he sees Betty, he does that Marvel Comics trope of whenever, like, you notice in a Marvel comic, whenever you run into somebody, you call them by their first and last name. You say Betty Brands. Like when I run into like you know my you know my friend you know Perry, I don't say. Perry Schwartz, is that you? I call him by his first name or something. We should start calling each other by our first last name too. It sounds more official. Like with some people, like Michael Bailey, like Michael Bailey is like his like first is his like Michael Bailey is his first name. You know, no one just calls I, him Michael. I, I just Bailey. call I just call him Michael. I just call or him. Brad Douglas. You should all call each other by your superhero names. But notice that in the Marvel comics, people are always like calling each other by their first and last names. J. Jonah Jameson, Bruce Banner, Peter Parker. I'm sure yeah, it's not just Marvel. Like, try try doing that, like, you know, for a day. Like, just going around calling all your friends by their first and last names. He'll punch me out within a minute. I don't know most <laughs> of their last names. <laughs> I try not to ask too many questions. So Jonah is, like, telling the bank what to do. He's like, give me my numbers. I need them now. Well, yes, sir. You're one of our biggest depositors. But banks aren't like that anymore. You don't tell banks what to do anymore. They have all the power. Yeah, back, back, back then you could tell uh, what to do. Don't even get me started. Have you been seeing my Facebook this week? <laughs> yes, with your whole Wachovia nightmare. Oh my gosh. I deposited $200, and they say I only deposited $1. And this has literally been going on for over a day. 
And there's like security camera footage of me depositing $200. There's computer records, but no, they're, they're not having it. It's like, I'm getting the newspapers involved. I got to get J. Jonah Jameson on this. He'll say Spider-Man's behind it and everything. You really should. If you have his number, give it uh, that'd be really good. I do like that finally for the first time we actually see a little bit of it's a leap in logic, but there is some logic to Jonah's suspicion that Electro is Spider-Man. He yeah, because did... Electro knows who J. Jonah Jameson is. But then he climbs up the wall, and then Spider-Man's right there. I mean, it's a stretch, but there's a connection as far as, like, you know, Sandman, where it's just like, Spider-Man and Sandman, they're the same person for no reason at all. I don't know. Maybe later on when Jonah and Marla were married, like, Jonah's so paranoid, he thinks that, like, Spider-Man's, like, you know, sleeping with his wife or something. I found a cobweb in the bathroom, Marla. You've been seeing Spider-Man, haven't you? No? <laughs> haven't you? Haven't no? you? Look right. at me. And Electro climbing up the wall, like, the explanation's given. He's, like, using his electricity to... Yeah, they say that out loud right next to him, and he says, well, that must be Spider-Man. He's using his electricity to climb up the wall. How, do, how is that even possible? Static yeah. electricity can make you stick to it. Yeah, I'm sure it it's makes your hair cool. stick to balloons, right? It can totally support your body weight. It can make the balloon stick to a wall. Because out of static electricity and gravity, static electricity is, of course, going to win. If you have well, enough of it, probably. Electro is one of those guys who, I know he appears in the, the Century 6 issue, but he doesn't appear for a long time after this, doesn't he? He's not, not in the Remedia issues, not, not that I can remember. I will do he a quick was, look-see. He was very sporadic with his appearances. He's pretty much a B-list villain when it comes down to it. And he, he's also another one of the... There are not that many of these in the early issues, but non-animal-based villains. I mean, we for animal-based villains, we have Dr. Octopus, who... Well, Octopus, the Vulture, Lizard. things like that. But, but I mean, other than uh, Sandman... Well, I guess the Chameleon you wouldn't really count. But most of Spider-Man's villains uh, in, in these early issues, I'd say at least half are animal-based. Oh, yeah, the lizard, too. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's like in the same way that uh, Batman has very psychological villains and the Flash has say. villains that are one note because the Flash has one power, so most of his villains have one thing, cold or heat or trickstering. <laughs> right, he's a gimmick <laughs> or t- villain. Or topping. Just for the record, Spider-Man appearances of Electro are number nine, annual one, number 82, and number 187. He was appearing. Oh, right. I do remember that. He yeah. was appearing in Daredevil, to be he fair. Was, there were some appearances of Daredevil. And, and Fantastic uh, Four. Defenders Daredevil issue two, came up. But yeah, he, he was very sporadic. Well, people that probably didn't Did they stop him with possible. a bucket of water in those two? <laughs> no, that's the thing that was carried over to the Ultimate, which I, I think is kind of ingenious because it's a classic way to think of stopping an electricity thing. It's a short amount with water. But, I always uh, thought that Electro and Shocker were like a little too similar. I mean, well, yeah, Electro controls all the electricity. Shocker just shocks you from his hands. I mean, yeah, but... But isn't Shocker vibration-based? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. The way that the writers write him, he's supposed to be vibration-based, but they use it like he's shooting electricity half the time. Okay. Well, Shocker's powers are more like... Think, think of like a, a little hand buzzer. It's a lot It's a lot more like that. You're actually not, you're not getting shocked. You're, you're getting like buzzed really, really badly. That's why, that's why I took it anyway. My first time meeting the Shocker was in the Spider-Man movie video game. Oh, yeah. That was, that was, that was fun. I, I liked fighting him in that game. I first met the Shocker with the Deadly Foes of Spider-Man miniseries. Shocker! You can't, you can't escape, escape me. me! I'll chase you to the ends of the earth! The check's in the mail, baby! What awesome. the hell? 
was that? Oh, Wolverine shirt. Spider-Man the Alien Costume Part 2 <laughs> from the 90s series. Okay. Was, I just reviewed that. It was the most entertaining 20 minutes of my life. Oh. They did a musical episode? <laughs> they might as well have since, since he was like raising his voice so high. And then Shocker's like, you know, uh, you know, so very painful or sort of painful. That's up to you. <laughs> you, I'm gonna save you for dessert, and you for <laughs> the main course. As he, as he tilts his head like a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> if you okay. ever, so, if you ever bored, watch watch uh, the Alien costume three part, or particularly part two. It's it's fun. It's awesome. What are you doing? I told you I give up. That's funny. I give up too. Being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then he eats Don't it. even think about it. Who needs to think? <laughs> is this from the 90s animated series? Yes, yeah, the most yeah. melodramatic okay. thing in the world. I watched all of those about two years ago, I think. I, I watched them all through from be, from the beginning to the end. I love those. those I ones. haven't seen it since it was on the air. The last season was an acid trip with, like, lizard people. Yes. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> secret war. And then, like, that, that last, like, two-part episode with, like, Spider Carnage and Uncle well, Ben and Gwen Stacy and, like, all the reality stuff. And, and then Madam <laughs> Webb just shows up. Oh, Madam yeah. Webb was, like... Madam Webb's, like, Zordon in, in the show. No, my, my favorite scene ever is the end of, like, the season finale mm-hmm. where Mary Jane gets sucked into the black hole and Peter just lays into Madam Webb. <laughs> so, speaking of page seven (laughs) (laughs) at the bottom of page seven you have the most useless eyewitness ever he was average height very confident and never seemed to doubt his power and the place is like what else can you tell us sir he never seemed to doubt his power oh really put the put put the head out yeah APB on guy who is confident and average height. Hey, hey, hey. Johnny Storm just got arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Is this issue the first time that Spider-Man took his camera, set it on automatic on a web, and just took photos that way? He did it with four for the Sandman reshoot. Okay. Well, we know it on a web, and he set it on, like, you know, a shelf or something. Okay, but, but this would probably be his first time doing it during a real fight. There's instances where, like, he's holding his camera in the early issues. Like, he's taking a picture of the vulture, like, two feet away from the vulture's face while they're fighting. And it's like, okay, he's going to see the picture in the paper and no, idiots. But I think Jeffrey's right. I think as far as planning it, you know, I'm going into a fight. I'm going to set my camera down here, turn on automatic, and get the pictures. I think this is the first time he's done it. This is the first time also that where he, like, doesn't go out crime fighting because it's raining. <laughs> I thought that sounded cool. <laughs> well, no, not because it's raining, because he can't take pictures in the rain. Right. It's like, well, oh. screw the people that are getting held at gunpoint or whatever. If I can't make any money, I'm not doing this. Which is funny because <laughs> that's exactly what, yeah, Lord like Electro. And th- this was also the first of many times that Aunt May's health has gotten in the way of the greater good. Yes. Like it always does. Oh, God. Speaking of that again, this pr- this they tell him before they do the operation it's going to cost $1,000. Now, I don't know about y'all's medical experiences, I have never been told before a procedure what it's going to cost me. There is no <laughs> there is no menu up front with prices listed. It's like we're going to do this and you're going to get the bill. And for I'll an extra th- 25 bucks, we'll remove her gall- gallbladder while we're at it. <laughs> I'll just think of, like in the next issue P- Peter like Peter has all these problems and it says and he says, "Well, I know I know this is going to cost a lot of money, but do it anyway. We need her to live." And I was like, gosh, I have all these problems, and now the leg breakers are coming after me. I gotta come with the money fast. Boy, superheroes don't have to, have to pay loan sharks, do they? 
<laughs> so Aunt May's health has always been expensive. First was a thousand dollars, then it was a marriage. It's always Wait, what? he had to give up his marriage for Aunt May's health. Oh, oh, oh. Spider-Man was never married. That never happened. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Wait, what? He, he and Mary Jane lived together for many years, and she got pregnant. Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. She was never pregnant. They said that yeah. they were living in sin. Can he just uh, tell the doctor? Tell you what? When you cut open Aunt May, take out a lung and sell that, and then that'll pay for the rest of the operation. Right. If Aunt May was dead, Peter would have so much money. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Sad, but true. Now he asks. He asks J. Jonah Jameson for the thousand dollars, and Jameson, of course, turns him down. But I got to think back to where I think it was issue four before he fought the Sandman. He asked Jameson for money just like randomly because he wanted money to play with his webs experiments. And I'm like, you know, if you hadn't already been asking him for a lot of money and you asked him for the thousand dollars and told him it was for your aunt, he might have actually given it to you. A fool teenager. So not being able to find Electro for all those hours and finally finding him and getting zapped right away would that be the parker luck if this were written last year they would have said the parker luck somewhere in there like 10 times yeah yeah and then his latino roommate would have yelled about him for you know this not having is. rent or sleeping with him or something. and he's using his electric power like a mind detector he just located a hidden safe how did you that, <laughs> notice that again? is that in the same science book that gave you ice cold silicone crystals for your webbing I don't know. Electro's power. It's electric. It's electricity. You know, you could be very, very. Um, it's know, electric. You know, I've always thought about that. Every single electric issue, I just imagine it's electro. Boogie, woogie, woogie. And I just <laughs> hear that in my head anytime there's an electro issue. <laughs> no matter what the context of the decade. No. It was kind of confusing to me because when he's finding electro here in this pa- scene on pages 9 and 10, if you don't look at the first panel where electro is actually in an apartment and all the other panels, it looks like he's on a rooftop. But he says, Spider-Man, lucky for me, I caught your reflection in the mirror on the wall. And I was reading this and I was like, who puts a mirror on their external walls on the rooftop? But yeah, but I guess it kind of works. It's just a little bit of a weird transition from the apartment to the rooftop. Wait, does he does he go into the room through that door he opens in the roof? I don't know. Or just takes- I have no idea how we get from the bottom of page 9 to the top of page 10. Did Cohen stand? communicate so one thing i like about the electro origin it is the first bad guy origin that feels like and don't laugh but feels like it could actually happen like it's no absolutely not no 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 no. it's not not an atomic (laughs) explosion there's no random genetic therapy going on this is just a guy working on a power line that gets zapped i mean it's, it's a realistic set of circumstances that could happen to anyone and realistically, that guy would, like, be on life support. Well, yeah, he would not. He would get powers. But everything up to the powers part can happen. I'll tell you right now, every time that I get bitten by a spider, I get really, really mad that not only does it hurt, but that I don't turn into Spider-Man. Yes. I, I don't often get bitten by spiders, but... I live in California. There's a lot of spiders. There's probably 20 on my back porch just waiting for me right now. It's like if somebody was drinking a bottle of water and then... And then, and then they got hit by a car at the same time. Stanley would say the force of the car hitting the person as the water was entering his body fused his blood cells with the water. <laughs> and now, like, that's happened to me. I've always thought that this was the most insulting origin because you can't seriously, <laughs> you can't seriously believe that this could work. <laughs> oh, we're gonna like, get- by a mysterious freak of fate. Like, no, you're dead. You are dead. You're a dead man. 
And then, then he makes it the, the stupid-ass-looking costume I've ever seen as a result of it. I was like, come on, man. It, it, it affected his fashion sense. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. He's got a star. Mm-hmm. Now, this doctor here in the hospital, is this Dr. Bromwell? No. Is there some not. untold tales that says this is Dr. Bromwell? He has a distinct Bermuda-esque look, and you'll, you'll certainly see it later on. Dr. That's, that's, Bromwell that's is around in the Dicko days. Um, I know that they used him in Untold Tales. I don't remember there being like anything that specifically said that this was him, but sometimes the Marvel chronology books like will retcon background characters and the being existing characters. I yeah, because my, my, my index says that Dr. Bromwell appeared in this issue, but I couldn't find his name mentioned anywhere. And none of the doctors look like Dr. Bromwell. Well, um, he's probably her home doctor, because that's who Dr. Bromwell was, her home physician. And if is this an official Marvel index that you're in, or is this Yeah, the official index that came out last year. Okay, well, if it's a, then it's Dr. Bromwell, because that's Marvel retcon. It's saying, okay, it's Bromwell. I don't, I don't even believe him. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking for the scene where we actually see her home doctor. Okay, yeah, that looks nothing like Dr. Bromwell. He's on page four, and he's short well, and fat he and has used white the hair. thousand dollars that he ripped off from the Parkers. Because <laughs> no, you don't get the bill before the surgery. He took the money, and then they got billed after the surgery by the hospital. Son of a bitch! Dr. Bromwell took the money and got you know plastic surgery and <laughs> went, went to Bermuda. You know, now has a tan. He looks completely different. I did find the name of Betty's old boyfriend. It is Gordon Savinsky, who became Terror, that she yep. is supposedly worried about at the bottom of page 14. It's not Bennett. I, always, I was reading the Bennett issue. I kind of thought that if you took the dialogue out, Bennett kind of seems like her boyfriend. Which oh, if you, if you take out the mention that it's a brother and just read everything else? Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, that's not even this issue, but yeah, we should... Um, yeah, except for the fact that, like, you know, she's, you know, she has whatever she has going on with Peter. But then it takes, like, you know, her blaming Spider-Man for the death, a whole new meaning, like Spider-Man knocked off Bennett so he could have a clear chance at Betty. Then he finds out, oh, that was her brother. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, wow. Betty, you are going to laugh when I tell you what I thought. <laughs> and by laugh, I mean be really pissed off. Okay, Betty. It's as though he carries a deep secret within him, one which no one can ever share. <laughs> oh, by the way, hypno coin. But yeah, my favorite. I like the one for the kite that zooms 500 feet in three minutes. What's that? There's so many oh, yeah. schemes in these in these gay kids sell grit. Sell grit? What? Yes. Yeah. It's like all the pyramid schemes and all the scams that like are online now. Like if this was being published today, but like there was no internet, like you'd have like a con- congratulations, you just want a free iPod Nano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- only here it's a it's a wrist radio for four ninety five. <laughs> Guaranteed to break within 30 seconds. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure the hypno coin was just a little piece of cardboard with a sticker on one side. The kind of things you get in, like, you know, nickel bins today in the, at the dollar store. Page 17. I get the biggest kick out. Wait, hold on. Hand grenade, 75 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. That's hilarious. Shut up. <laughs> it's on the ad right after uh, page 11. God. In the lower right-hand side, hand grenades, seventy-five cents. Exactly. That's where it's right all above Marvel's the, readers the, went. Yeah, it's it's right above the uh, bank vault with alarm for a buck forty-nine. Wow, these are terrible. It's coins and and free grenades, basically. See behind glass. I don't. I don't. Behind? I don't. Okay. A bike speedometer. And to the make bike sure you're not breaking the law on your bike. Page seventeen. 
they're fighting and Spider-Man throws some ball bearings on the floor. He says, hey, Sparky, kick these around for a while. And in his mind, he's thinking, these steel bearings, they'll do the trick. But what does Electro say? It's those blasted bearings again. I know. What was up with that? When, when, when was the first time? Did you have problems with bearings in childhood or something? I don't know. I looked back. I'm like This issue makes less and less sense as we're talking about it. What does Burn have to say about that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's been a while. It's been a while since I read chapter one. Um, some of the stuff that I did in the early or episodes was stuff that I remembered more clearly and vividly. Um, I might reread chapter one for fun. Page nineteen up at the top. Oh look, it's the Sandman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still he's still unconscious and knocked into the. Into the yeah, we're gonna we're gonna film this one too. Sandman fights Spider Man fights Electro. Daily Bugle. <laughs> I'll make millions. Sand, Sandman becomes Glassman. That yeah, has to have happened at some point over the continuity, right? They called he, me Mr. Glass. It happened in uh, uh, Spider-Man 3. Like, Harry uses glider to, to burn his uh, arm into glass. Yeah, there okay. is that. But yeah, that's happened the same man in the comics before. Spider-Man's turned into glass a few times. I was going to say, that that's such an obvious plot twist that someone's had to have done it at least once. I think the Human Torch may have even done it at one point because, like, you know, he can have, he has fire. And, like, have a, have a Spider-Man's rogues fight either the Human Torch or Daredevil, if not all of them. Well, looking at the last page with Peter and Betty, and she's like, you know, someone I once knew who reminded me of you. I'm kind of glad that they retconned that as next boyfriend because whoever she's reminded of, she is not talking about him like a brother. You know, she's reminding me of you, the boy I'm currently falling in love with. That's your brother. That's hey, kind of weird. It's Star Wars Day. I Did y'all see it's, that picture? Yeah, for, for yeah. those who don't know, we're recording this on uh, May 4th, which is Star Wars Day. So May the 4th be with you. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I actually did one of those jib-jab Empire Strikes Back videos, too, earlier today. Someone sent that to me, and I, it, I took the time out of taking my notes to like do that video for 20 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if Star Wars has taught us anything, it's that, you know, hey, you know, love knows no uh, familial bonds. Incest is the best. Put your sister to the test. Wow. It's really funny that, that, that you just said that may the fourth be with you because some kid said that to me today while I was at school teaching. And now I feel like an out-of-touch adult. Because you didn't get it? I didn't get it. I, I, I did not realize. I, it did not occur to me that that was what the reference was. I'm sorry, Jeffrey. It's okay. I know. You're a Superman. I am an out-of-touch adult. Star Wars is Marvel and you live in DC World. It's okay. Well, Star Wars is Dark Horse now. Marvel kind of yeah, dropped the ball. <laughs> the Don't ball. tell Jeffrey. Jeffrey works in a comic shop. Jeffrey already knows. <laughs> That's right. Jeffrey also is on the How come Marvel season. hasn't shipped any of their Star Wars issues since the late 80s? It's so weird. Yeah, I can't remember the last time that I got a new one of those. They, they keep it's still, on, it's still like, on my pull list. Right, right. So we have first appearances of Max Dillon, Electro, and maybe Dr. Bromwell. One of the doctors in this issue was Dr. Bromwell. I don't know which one. Probably the, the one at her house that looks nothing like Dr. Bromwell. It's probably him, yes. <laughs> but I thought this was a really cool issue. I mean, yeah, Electro is a cheesy, corny villain, but there were lots of really good character moments, lots of good Peter Parker stuff, uh, nice, yeah. solid couple of fights. Although just a whole bunch of gobbledygook about electromagnetism, and, and more more character development towards you know faking a picture. You know, I could see why he did it now. Like rereading the issue, it's like, yeah, his aunt May could have possibly died. Although we don't know how life threatening this thing was. Like, <laughs> could have been like to like a vanity surgery or something. I mean, under the circumstance, I mean, this isn't like what recently happened in the books where he faked the picture because, you know, he felt sorry for Jonah and he wanted to end the investigation quicker. This was he was worried about the death and life of his aunt. So. Right. Yes, but he does admit 
basically to having faked the photos to J. Jonah Jameson, who immediately like, forgives him because of the photos that he now has. He does take moral, moral responsibility in his inner, in his inner dialogue, unlike uh, uh, 624 or whatever. And Betty is not like, oh it's my god. It's still fraud. It's still like the reason that Eddie Brock lost his job. Oh, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And Betty should be seeing this thinking, oh my god, it's just like Gordon, my ex who was doing this stuff, and P- and uh, and my brother Bennett, you know, lying, cheating, stealing. Now Peter's doing it. No, her reaction is, you went to the prison riot, not you faked a photo for $1,000. Well, you 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 made the parallel with Eddie Brock, and I was just thinking that Eddie Brock's grievance was actually probably lesser than this because, at least, he thought his source was real, even though it turned out to be a lying, you know, sociopath or whatever the story there was. Eddie Brock thought he had a real source. Spider Man is just faking his photos because he's a hero; he can get away with it. Yes, well, he's the hero of the story. But again, as we said before, we'll say it again. Peter Parker is not a perfect guy. He has issues. <laughs> little, little Chad Kruger there, Josh. He has over 600 issues. Yes. Ah. So this issue did have an ad for the Fantastic Four number 23, the master plan of Doctor Doom. Yeah. And that was actually a pretty cool story. The FF tossed around the idea of a new leader, which kind of peeves Reed. And the story ends with Doom getting blown out into space on an asteroid careening out of our solar Because <laughs> surely That's he fun. could never come back from that. Oh, but... The letters page goes up through Amazing Spider-Man number 5 in the Strange Tales annual. The couple of things I saw that were of note, David Busett, or Busset, B-U-S-E-T, asks for Spidey to tangle with the Hulk, which we will actually see in one of our June episodes. We learn in a response to Gordon Flagg Jr. that the letterers end every sentence with an exclamation point because supposedly they're easier to see than periods. And this is actually a thing that gets brought up a lot in letters columns over the years, and whenever they actually decide to bring periods back into their copy, they sort of make a big announcement about it. It's kind of silly. But Michael, but not so big that they would use an exclamation point for it. Exactly. Bringing in periods! Followed by a period. Michael Fallis, a very unfortunate last name, suggests <laughs> tossing Iceman into the next Spider-Man Torch team-up. And I wonder if he ever went on to write for Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I'm sure he didn't. Probably not, but, you know. (laughs) Stan was still waiting on a response to his query about nixing the letters page for the sake of two more pages of story, and he mentions that here, how he's waiting for the response, he'll announce it next issue, but he doesn't announce it next issue. He just keeps on doing letters pages and lets that be the um, announcement. So that's disappointing after building up so much hope. Later, in November of 1963, two very important events happen. Of course, everyone knows that President John Kennedy was assassinated in my home city of Dallas, Texas. On which, my birthday. On your birthday, November 22nd? Second, yep. And that's not actually I, my home city. I grew up in the I, South. I, I, I wasn't born at the time, but it's on my birth date. Yes. Kind of reminds me of uh, Butter's birthday from South Park. What was Butter's birthday? I don't remember. I'm going to guess September 11th. Okay, yeah. The very next day, the BBC premiered their new children's drama, Doctor Who, starring William William Hartnell, William Russell, Jacqueline Hill, Carol Ann Ford. Never seen a full episode, ever. It is awesome. Yeah. I, I would have to pick and choose which one of the old series I would recommend watching because there's a lot of garbage. I but hear it's really good. Like the, there's new, lots of- the new series is almost all good. There are very few clunkers. There definitely are clunkers, but there aren't that many of them. I like generally all of it. Uh, like, in fact, I just watched the latest episode today, earlier today. 
It I sounds like one of those shows where it's like really hard to get like into because it's like really con like heavy and stuff, and it's been going on for years. If you if you get into like the modern series, you can kind of follow it because they kind of they give you what you need to know, and it's not all that complicated. The old series actually avoided continuity pretty heavily. Um, even when they brought back villains, they they didn't really talk about a whole lot as far as their past encounters or anything. The new series is very accessible to new viewers. Um, but it is more continuity heavy because you have the ongoing relationships and emotional dramas and everything. So, within itself, though, not with the old series. Due to all the news coverage with the Kennedy shooting, they were actually allowed to retransmit the episode the following week, immediately preceding the second one. And so we have a very rare early example of a television rerun. And that's <laughs> um, my current events of the world, which I don't really do very much, but I thought I'd do it for Doctor Who because I love my Doctor Who. And with Doctor Who, we are going to wrap up the episode for this week, folks. Jeffrey Taylor will be joining us next week for coverage of Amazing Spider-Man numbers 10 and 11. Be sure to check out his podcast, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, available from iTunes or supermanhomepage.com or fortressofbailytude.com, where you can get a month in the life of Superman every week. Should you wish to write into the show and have your emails read on the air, you may write us at amazingspidermanclassics at gmail.com. You can also find show notes and information about the episode or leave comments at amazingspiderman.libsen.com. And I try to keep the group updated on Facebook. Just search Amazing Spider-Man Classics and join the group on Facebook. This has been another episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Thank you for listening. Good night. That's noisy. It's Sorry, there's a crowd walking by. That's okay. Okay, wait, they're gone. Wait. Don't they know you're on a podcast about Spider-Man? What's up? I know, right? Why are you doing this, like, not at your house? Because my wife is there with the kids, and she finds it annoying whenever I do this at the house. Especially as long as this particular one's going to go. So. Why is yeah. she not in the kitchen making you a sandwich? <laughs> hey, listen, Missy, get back in the kitchen make me some pie.